So this is a fun fact. The first professional CGM was approved by the FDA in the year 1999. And uh, if you really think about it, um, uh, CGM is the way to measure. But continuous glucose has really changed the game uh, around uh, how people look at metabolic disorders, or specifically diabetes, right? Because the way you would diagnose diabetes or even manage it used to be on the basis of uh, a static measurement mechanism, most probably a finger prick. Besides from being uh, extremely painful, or the method that actually gives you uh, continuous points uh, is uh, way more comprehensive uh, set of information pointers around what your lifestyle is, because then you can measure your glucose variance uh, variation during sleep, you can measure it postprandial. You can measure it in response to exercise and that tells you a lot about your own body. So, so CGMs really changed the game way back in 1999 and CGMs obviously have been evolving as uh, different companies in the space have been uh, realizing that um, lifestyle plays a mega role in terms of uh, helping people understand their metabolic disorders but also to avoid these. If you've been curious about why measurement of glucose in a continuous way matters, I think you're in the right place. Let's get to it. A common question that we get asked is, uh, why should I really pay attention to my metabolic health? Uh, I don't really have a problem. Um, I think that's an interesting question because probably there are two types of people, right? One is a people who want to, they're on the left side of the bell curve. They want to be peak performers. Uh, and then on the right side, you obviously have people who face a problem, then they react. And then there's a spectrum, right? I mean, of people sometimes reacting, not reacting, essentially, right? But I mean, what is the ideal, um, let's say, perspective around this? Like, when should people really think about, and how should people really think about their metabolic health, right? Starting from, let's say, the left side of the spectrum, left side of the spectrum, which is performers, how should they think about metabolic health? The middle and the far right side, essentially. I think that to be able to change any of that, the first question is like, you know, the objectives of these three uh, uh, different uh, sections of uh, people has to be considered, right? A performance guy may want to increase his performance, right? Or increase his ability to consume a variety of foods. I mean, these are the two things because they often they get like into a very... Um, so we say contained diet. And over a period of time, that could have an issue on your metabolism. What we noticed is that they lose a lot of diversity in the gut and they begin to have gut problems later on and a high amount of cortisol problems because, you know, the, the fueling strategies may not be optimal. They're fueling for only performance. They're not fueling for health. Health, you've got to understand, health span and, and uh, uh, lifespan are two different elements, right? Lifespan is almost the antithesis of, of overdoing it. And performance is all about overdoing it. Uh, if you think about what, uh, I mean, the modern day, like Peter Sinclair is talking about, is all about like, you know, uh, calorific restriction. You're talking about, you know, minimal movement. Like, it, it's actually very, very interesting. It's the exact opposite of what you'd be doing if you're a performance athlete, isn't it? I mean, you'd be, you have to consume so many calories. You have to be uh, doing this much. You're going to be utilizing your stem cells. Your heart rate is a really high level, yeah. right? It's really interesting, right? Yeah, I like that you said Peter Sinclair because it's Peter and I and David Sinclair in one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. The, the, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's a great shortcut uh, to talk about longevity, right? 
So but, if you uh, think about that, that's the performance aspect, right? And now the middle guys who you're talking about, you know, who are, who are in either, they're actually in quite an optimal place. And before we get there, I think you bring up a really interesting point around athletes, right? That the athletes that you see around who are maximizing everything might not be the healthiest people around. Exactly. Right? And uh, um, so then there is a, then for athletes, this is actually their longevity. Even if you look at it from a performance perspective, like how long can I keep doing this? Do I want to be a five-year athlete, 10-year athlete or 15-year athlete? So their longevity in sports career and overall longevity, uh, that gets determined sometimes by looking at like, yes, I'm optimizing for performance, but uh, am I actually uh, uh, basically uh, performing within the realm of longevity as well or not? So basically... uh, you, I mean, to simplify, you can call it uh, longevity for performance, for example. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And the same with like, and then now you're looking at the guys who are like, um, have an issue with metabolic health. They are considering it. But are they looking at lifestyle? Look, we know that exercise and, you know, a lot of the tools have been there forever. Nobody wants to utilize them. I don't think it's a problem of the tools or the solutions. I think it's a problem of motivation. So there's this left side of the spectrum, which is peak performance athletes. For them, it's longevity. What's in it for, let's say, the middle spectrum? People who might have one of one or two of these symptoms or one or two of these problems, but they are not critical enough. Actually, Mohit, I think uh, metabolic syndrome is three of those problems and your metabolic syndrome. So if you have a uh, high um, uh, triglyceride level, if you have high blood pressure, hypertension, um, if your uric acid levels are high and... Obviously, if you don't have control over your blood sugar, you're already heading very close to metabolic syndrome already. Even if you don't have diabetes? Yeah, that's, those are the precursors, right? So even if you have a high triglyceride level, and then you know, you're sort of getting pre-diabetic, you're already heading towards there. And according to uh, you know, a lot of the recent research, if you look at it, like I think they're saying 90% of at least the US have some of these happening. Uh, even if one or two, three is not too much of a problem because that's the next logical step. So if you have hypertension, you better start still managing the glucose because that's, they, they sort of are a series, right? I mean, there are things that are interrelated. So if you really want to sort that out, it's not one and two is still like a great time to manage it because you won't go to the other side of the spectrum. So you're saying that these are all early markers that's right. of a metabolic disorder. Uh, and basically almost 90% of the population has one of these markers. So that... Uh, just simplify it for me. For example, what uh, you mentioned triglyceride. What would be the long list of things to watch out for when you're looking at, uh, like, do I have a metabolic disorder or not? I think it's the. Uh, I think your HDL will be lower. Your triglyceride levels will begin to go up, right? Uh, your fasting glucose, you will see it up. You know, occasionally it'll be your insulin. Your insulin levels will be up. Visceral fat is another great one to look for, right? Um, they basically figured out that a lot of diabetic people have a, uh, uh, here's an, uh, it's called the athlete's paradox. This is amazing. So a lot of people with diabetes have a lot of uh, intermyocellular fat. It's fat inside your muscles. And they can't access it, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the problem because they can't access it and fat keeps getting dumped over there. But so does an athlete. They have the same amount of fat in the muscle. The regular guy who's like in between doesn't have that, Right. But the athlete has. Why? Because he's using that in a high amount of flux. He's, his mitochondria is just burning through it. So the problem is actually in the way the mitochondria functions, uh, ultimately. So you're talking about mitochondrial health, right? Which is the next 
frontier, so to speak. Right. So if you're able to get the mitochondria to burn and do the fatty oxidation, you will get through this. That's where the brown fat and everything else Exactly. So then you see how light again makes a big difference and how you want to balance all the micronutrients and the nutrient sensing, right? And make sure there's less oxidative stress. And all of these things are tied in, right? So when you're in the middle, that's where you have complete control of, you know, moving it into the left side direction or making sure you don't, you know, further and go into uh, a diabetic issue. Because a lot of people are shocked when they get there, but even stress will get you there. Lack of sleep will get you there, right? As, as we discussed earlier. So it's not just a, a, a one-shot thing. It's, and that's why it's, it's intriguing because if you look at it from that kind of holistic perspective, right? It gives you that, yeah, you know, everybody by observing will be quickly able to change. You know, in the cyborg, I know you, you, you already have a lot of data on how people quickly changed, right? Just watching themselves. Actually, it's the best tool. It's just changing. That's a guide to help you change, right? I mean, and we've seen this over and again, even with myself, you know, you, you see the things that you react to and you take a conscientious decision knowing that you're going to be reacting to it. And what the cyborg does is gives you accountability, right? And that's all you need. You just need somebody to keep you accountable. You can't make them accountable. You have to only be accountable to yourself. And this gives you a choice of whether you want to be accountable at that point in time or not. No, and then you can remedy that, right? You have an action. So you can say, listen, today I'm going to have, I don't know, a Haagen-Dazs ice cream or whatever it is. And then I'm just going to go for a light walk after that, right? I remember I, you were talking about walking in the morning as well. I mean, you just do it because, but it does. It, it, whether you know it or not, there's these subtle things. You know, the good news of our education system is made us not to want to fail. Especially when you see numbers, you're like, man, I, I don't want to be on the other side of that, right? And that's really interesting because now that's something that we've programmed early and it's sort of working for us, right? When you see these graphs and data and saying, you're not on, on this end of the bell curve, you're on the other end, you're like, oh no, maybe I should do something about it. So it becomes interesting. Like, and I think that middle portion is a huge one, right? Yes, longevity for performance, but the middle one is the real preventative part, right? I mean, that's where you're at. When should you act? There is a preventive versus curative view to that. Of course, um, Prevention is better than cure in many ways. I mean, it's, it's a common quote. But is there a biological reason uh, to prevention being better than cure as well? What I'm essentially asking is that reversal of a metabolic disorder, like for example, in this case, let's say, uh, let's let's look at diabetes. So reversal of diabetes uh, versus avoiding diabetes. If I just look at pure ROI, yeah. right? Huge. So um, how hard are these two problems if you compare and weigh these two. The amount of energy you need to use to reverse diabetes is going to be an enormous undertaking because you're already on this side and it depends how far this side you are and you may or may not be able to do it. Those are all the behavioral, yeah. the hard side, in the, the, the hard part. And economically, the right? You have insulin, yeah. maybe you have other things that you need to take. You have pharmacology, you'll need to be able to manage it. Uh, you may need to do like a whole bunch of things like, you know, you have to do the uh, prick test. Suddenly it becomes all these added uh, things that you need to do, not only to spend on, but also to, you know, take time off to do. Sure. No, and I think there is this part, which is obviously uh, the the part that, hey, there are a bunch of things that you need to do, which are over and above um, preventing a metabolic disorder to reverse diabetes. Yeah. Right. But then, but the, are there, are there also uh, biological changes uh, that happen in the body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Permanent biological changes, semi-permanent or permanent biological changes that uh, have long-term effects. So, for example, what I'm trying to hear uh, say is that somebody who 
has reversed diabetes and gotten back to an aboriginal state or versus um, somebody who is basically uh, who doesn't have diabetes right uh, their hba1c's are similar right uh, their glucose levels are similar and comparable are these two bodies different i'm sure they will be because your insulin sensitivity will not be the same right once you have this kind of resistance your body will be prone to it and much more tuned towards resistance insulin resistance than otherwise and insulin resistance is the reason that you are diabetic so with insulin resistance comes so many other problems in terms of performance because you are able to store only half the glycogen you can traditionally store so which means your performance is going to be half right so it is going to be a much harder living right so yeah i mean those changes are going to happen on even on a cellular level right i mean it's going to happen over there and plus the oxidative stress all those other things your efficiency of your metabolism all of that is going to be a little more compromised and your sensitivity to certain foods are going to be way higher so your choice is going to come down right your ability to live is going to be more difficult so yeah sure but you know that and that's the amazing thing about what you're talking about that in between person has a choice to not go down that route yeah so i think uh, just highlighting one aspect of what you just mentioned you mentioned oxidative stress right um and uh, uh, for our listeners when we think about glucose uh, we almost always think about the consequence of mismanagement of glucose leading to diabetes but then there are so many disorders associated mm. broadly classified as metabolic disorders but then uh, oxidative stress that uh, that basically you spoke about could have let's say uh, wider consequences is there a correlation with glucose to oxidative stress as well and why um, why is it important to watch glucose from an oxidative stress perspective you know i think it's got to do specifically with glucose variability when you are spiking it up and down right think about the variability of the glucose itself and how the mitochondria has to deal with it i know that it causes a lot of uh, reactive oxygen species etc because when you have a high amount of glucose there are multiple things that are going to happen right a high amount of glucose it depends on on the quantity of course uh, can actually be converted into fructose because in your portal vein you have uh, a, a conversion mechanism to fructose and fructose is also uh, because it it's actually quite corrosive in multiple ways will will cause other problems now that could be like in the kidneys right especially uh, so then you're going towards the blood pressure and that kind of stuff on the other hand on the mitochondria itself every time you are processing any kind of food you are going to have like an oxidation event because the processing itself has it but the more you put off this unadulterated glucose or whatever it is going into your system and especially when it's on and off you're going to create a greater amount of variability because the greater amount of glucose you have and if it's spiking and it's coming down and spiking and coming down one of the things you can be rest assured is that we create more fat right and out of this fat you're going to have a lot of this metabolically active fat and some of those things that we discussed before which is that diacyl glycerides right i mean those like the triglycerides the ones that are going to stop this glut4 receptor so it is going to uh, you know inflame your cells so to speak and this fat is going to be all over your body right in and deposited at various places yeah like especially visceral fat yeah and or not only around your organs it's also for atherosclerotic issues right you know for cardiovascular issues as well so if you think about it from that perspective right this this small thing that is oxidative yes because why is it oxidative the mitochondria has to do uh, basically use glucose through a process called oxidative phosphorylation it needs oxygen and glucose right now with a huge amount of it 
it all gets stockpiled outside and only some of it is coming in and the other one's going around the lactate pathway and then you know you have some of it being converted into fats right i mean those are all the variations that you actually have happening right. so you're creating a greater amount of oxidative stress now this oxidative stress is interesting what does that mean it this means that this oxygen molecule oxygen molecule is highly reactive and begins to damage cell membranes begins to do all of that inflaming the system more right now when it gets inflamed what happens you have cytokines now everybody knows about cytokines after covid so you have iols il6 and tumor necrosis factor that is like all over your body and these are cytokines that are saying we have inflammation then there are more white blood cells coming in right and you know cleaning up that mess but the problem with immunity is is a very strange thing right uh, when immunity is so triggered all the time is easy to go into an autoimmune condition it's also easy for immunity to cause other issues like you know the plaque formation around the cardiovascular area but you see it's all related isn't it it's like i mean it's physiology yeah physiology right i mean yeah. it's, it's the interesting part is that just like nature everything is related and that's what i'm saying so it's not just a problem right so if you're able to look at this small metric and say listen i know that i can do this sometimes but i need to keep this under control automatically you're going to have to manage portion sizes or you don't have to do it consciously you're going to do it without or the quality of fuel and the quality of fuel because you're going to be like okay doing it which means less impact on the body which means more efficiency performance and inadvertently you're going to be swing back into a more optimal state right listen it's not like we're not going to make bad choices you're going to make some bad choices right according to this model of behavior the transtheoretical model of behavior you're going to fall off 6 7 times it's normal that's a human thing to do before you make a of a, a change that's like actually is maintenance or sustainable you everybody's going to fall off yeah our problem is what do we do when we fall off everybody if we judge it too harshly you're never going to do the comeback right and come back everybody comes back yeah i mean look at arni yeah. so you have to think about it from that perspective of saying that we have to allow people to be do the comeback right and that's all this is this is the comeback right you can keep going and you're like you'll get better at every iteration as you have this control it's not a single shot thing saying i'm going to stop cold turkey sort of doesn't work like that yeah. the balance really makes a lot of difference versus basically taking an extremist approach in this case but since you mentioned the role of glucose variability being linked to oxidative stress it actually intrigues uh, me when i think about it because then unless you measure glucose continuously you will never have variability uh, so traditionally when we measured glucose point in time uh, four or five times a day in case of diabetics uh, or even in case of performance athletes you could never understand variability uh what that basically means is that as the science of continuous glucose monitoring uh or the coverage of continuous glucose monitoring rather uh emerges we'll probably have more evidence uh around the linkage between uh variability and different other health factors being able to measure glucose continuously is a game changer and i hope this episode has changed the way you understand and view a cgm device let us know your experience of this by tagging us on our social handle at ultrahumanhq on twitter and instagram thank you so much and we'll see you soon